How are you all doing today? This is the Jeff Salgado Show with my co-host, Mike Boyd. What's up, man? Not much. We took a break. We're back. Hell yeah, we are. We're excited to be back. Um, it is... It's 102 in Carmichael. <laughs> and it's not California. even as hot as it's supposed to be yet. It's fucking gnarly. Yeah, it is, it is so... You know, it, it's actually so hot that I'm not even hot anymore. You just... Yeah, it's like you get so hungry or you get so tired that you just don't feel it. I did, well, it's, just it's, you know, it's, it. it's not even that. I'm just completely acclimated to it. Like, I, yeah. I came out today and I was like, I'm not even hot. Yeah. It's just... I was like, whatever. You know, and we're beginning September, September 6th. It is Sunday. It doesn't help the state's on fire. No, not at all. And we're actually going to catch up today. We're not going to, we're not going to have a guest today. It's not that we couldn't get one. It's the fact that I just, we, I had so much, you know, since the last time we did this, we wanted to catch up on with Mike. How you doing? How you been, man? I've been good, dude. You know, I'm just working, 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 working. on the bitters. Okay. We're just, you, get a, you get a new job? Yeah, I got a new job, so I'm awesome. happy about that. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, working on the bitter stuff. We completed tracking for a new EP, a new five-song EP the other week, and I've just been working on mixing it and mastering it so we can get it out there. So how, how long is that going to run for if it's an EP, if it's five songs? Right now, I think the total time for this EP might be close to 18 minutes. That's like a. That's one of our full lengths, you know. Yeah. We're like we like Hunch about theirs is like less than a half hour. It's like 20, 25 minutes long. We like to drag shit out. We're yeah, prog. We, we call that a fucking <laughs> LP. Yeah, it, I I think because of the you know, the the quantity of songs that we have, I would call it more of an EP than an LP, just because there's only five of them. The we're bitters. Not, we're not fucking tool though. We don't have like five songs and two hours of music. The Bitters, you can find them on, what are, you, what are you guys on? Spotify, Apple Music, we're on every streaming thing there is. And you can find us on Bandcamp if you don't like how Spotify and all those streaming things only pay you a fraction of a penny for per play. Now, what if there's a couple of other bands called Bitters? Because I tried to look you up and there was like 10 bands called The Bitters. Look, uh, look up The Bitters Sacramento, that's a big one. So we, we know there's like 200 Bitters out there and all of us are kind of unsigned, unknown bands. So look up The Bitters Sacramento. You can check us out on Facebook, The Bitter Sacramento, and that'll give you a link to all of our shit. If you wanted to be a villain, you can always go in and get a federal trademark and just knock them all out. Thank you. <laughs> I'll go do that like this weekend. Uh, we did, and uh, we still have problems. I mean, it's like whack-a-mole once you get the, the trademark. everybody's You see a band pop up at least once a year, yeah. and you're having to constantly, like, eight, eight, eight. And, you know, we, don't, we got to the point where we don't even contact the bands anymore. It's like, why? You know, we know what they're going to say, so we just go after the platforms they're on and just take them out from there. It's so much easier. It's calculating, but I'm in. Well, okay. I mean, uh, yeah, you've got a brand that you're trying to push. Well, here, here's a story. This is a, this is a small story that I've never told anybody in public, but it's, uh, it's about trademarks and federal trademark of psychosomatic. We had a, um, um, I think what happened was we had a bunch of shows and my drummer Toby got hurt skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Had a kind of broke his elbow. He was getting super rad. I think he was doing some ramps and shit. And then uh, we had to cancel some shows. We were totally bummed. And so Toby, like a fucking badass, goes out, just completely legitimizes us. Right? Goes in and does all the right things to make us a, you know, a business. Yeah. So and, Sean and does the, the leg work. Thing. It's a legit business, but it's absolutely one hundred percent DIY because yeah. I think he learned from Joey Escalani from the Vandals, 
who like he he communicated with, and then he told him exactly what to do, and he knocked it out, and we were actually like claiming taxes, doing all kinds of stuff, you know, and make it legitimized so we can tour and do it right, you know, and do the right thing. Yeah. And so he got the federal trademark, and we're looking at all these bands, and there's so many of them that say psychosomatic, right? This is a while ago. This is like years ago. But so we uh, we had a discussion with one of them. Uh, people were calling us and saying, hey, are you guys playing with Prong or Sick of It All? We're like, what? No. And they're all, well, there's a band here in the Bay Area, and they were called, uh, I think they were called Psychomatic, right? Close enough. <laughs> right, and it's infringement, right? And and we and we tried to talk to them. You know, we tried to say, hey, you know, this is our name, and they weren't having it. You know, they were just like, whatever. You know, it's a different name. What are you talking about? But you're infringing on our trademark, and that's actually covered by the stipulations, by the law. And so they... Um, we, we went back and forth. It was an argument. It was an argument. And then finally, we got our lawyer involved, and she issued a cease and desist, knocked it out, done, right? Right. It was done. It was over. And then we go back on Facebook, and there's literally like 50 more bands. <laughs> like, didn't say psychosomatic. So uh, Toby contacts Facebook and tells them, hey, we got the trademark. Can we knock out all these URLs, right? And they do. But there's one of them. They have to. Yeah. Legally at and, that they, and they just knocked it out. It wasn't even a problem. And then there was one of them and they said, well, we can't knock this one out because they are international and you guys don't have an international trademark. Tap, 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 tap right. on the so, computer. Right. And so okay. Toby was like, you know what? Fuck you. You're a fucking, you're a United States company. How about that? We'll go after you. Oh, shit. Gone the next day. <laughs> they just took it down super fast. They were like, oh, didn't even argue. It was gone. And I was just laughing. We started laughing so hard. That is a small victory that we never really talked about. And I just had to say it just for the sake of saying because it was so fucking badass, right? Yeah. Like, fuck you, Facebook. Like, you know, just, it's not so much taking down the other band as it was taking exactly. on Facebook, man. And, and that's the thing is, it's nothing against the bands we know, but I mean, dude, do a Google search before you decide on a name. It's really easy. So we did, we did that, and one of the I didn't name the band, but a member that's no longer in the band named the band, and that's the first thing I said was, "There's like 10 million bidders." This right. is going to be very difficult to maintain. And the one who wins is the one who makes it legal. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, that's the way it rolls in this uh in I guess this I world. got some tippity-tap history, like, look up some, yeah. some trademark it's shit. Yeah, it's easy. It's not hard. Research. At, it's not hard at all. People do it every day. They do it every day. I yeah. mean, it's a difference between having them when somebody says, well, it's a different spelling or it's, we don't have this word in it or whatever. And we're, we're called the bitters plus or whatever. It's like, no, it's all covered it's too under close. It. Yeah, I mean, you don't have a burger chain called Carl Sr. You know, you know they're going to get fucking sued. <laughs> the same principle applies. Or if you try to do a K, Carl Jr. with a K or whatever, you know, it's like if you're infringing on someone's product, you have a right, if you have the you know, legal documentation to come in and say, hey, dude, no, you're, you're, you're costing us money. You're, you're, you're confusing our, our fans, you know, basically. They're, they're yeah. like, oh, we're going to go see the bidders. And next thing you know, it's like some totally different band. You're like, what the fuck? I just drove fucking a half an hour for It's this already shit. happened. There you go. Exactly. It's already fucking happened. Like someone went on our Facebook. Like I saw you guys in Texas. Like we've never fucking been there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, though. Speaking of Texas, and this is something I really wanted to touch on on this uh, this episode is touring and whatnot. We just released a record, and it's totally well received. I could not ask for a better reception. Congratulations. Thank you. It was awesome. I mean, it's it's still awesome. It's still ongoing, and. The question is, is when are you guys going to play? When are you guys going to play live? And I'm just kind of looking down like, fuck. Because 
at this point, when everything opens up again, I don't even know if there's going to be any venues left to play. So they're dropping like flies, man. It's very heartbreaking, you know. And, and I just have to like focus and say, you know what? Psychosomatic, for the most of its career, has always been a DIY band. So we have no problem playing someone's backyard or warehouse or however you want to do it because that's where it's going to end up. Yep. And we're totally fine with that because we've done it for decades. It's something I'm completely used to. I don't mind doing it again. And uh, some of our best shows were DIY. You know, I mean, we've had some big ones that were legit, but uh, all my favorites are basement shows. Yeah, tons of those. I mean, we did a one of my favorite ones was we did a basement show that the guys in Ramming Speed hooked up to us, hooked up for us in Boston, and it was packed wall to wall, like crammed in there raging pit it was fucking nuts and it was awesome like people just did not give a shit i was crammed up against toby's drum set like with my mic in my face like just to stand there yeah i got absorbed in a pit once when i was in kill devil in 2012 we played a basement show and we covered territorial pissings by nirvana and the place just went chaotic we got absorbed into the pit and everything it was just so sick anyway speaking about your new album dude let's talk about that what your new album. What about it? Everything. Come on, man. Give us some details. Well, I just, uh, Greg and Nefarious put it out. Nefarious Industries, he, it took off. I mean, I, we never had an album that was on vinyl, so I couldn't be more happy that it was on colored vinyl. Feels and, legit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, the, the, when I looked at a copy and I was just like, God damn, like finally, you know, because we were always CD guys, whatever, we went digital. So how did it feel to see your artwork blown up like that too? Well, I've had it on posters before, but on an actual album cover, yes, like there is a different surrealism with it. Did you get some hairs on your arms? Going I don't on? have any hair on my arms. Did you get some goosebumps? Like I, I, I just, I can't, I don't have no hair. All right, fine. <laughs> Except for it's like on top of my head, like towards the back. <laughs> and, and and I got a little goatee, and that's it. Like, I have no body hair at all. Just And it's not like I shave. It just doesn't grow. It's embarrassing. It is. You should be. Anyway, come on. I mean, you have the artwork coming out. You have a fucking video that just dropped. You have the album just dropped. You're in multiple reviews right now. How's it feel? Like, really? Well, it, it's bittersweet, I'll tell you that, because of what's going on right now. It's uh, Everybody's fucking it's super depressed, you know? And, and it's 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 kind of good for us but at the same time we understand that people are depressed and we want to we want to give it to 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 like kind of just get you out of your head for a little bit you know like to entertain because that's what we do so you know it's it's kind of good timing for that but at the same time i understand it's really hard to get pumped for a record that you can't go see live totally and um you know we uh greg is really cool because when he when he shipped out the uh the pre-orders that he just put so much stuff in there like just like extra what? He put like extra records in it. Like he would put what? like an extra 12 inch, extra like 45, dump a bunch of stickers, tons of stuff. He's just really loading up the pre-orders. I mean the- Like 45s of your band or just 45s from the label? From the label. Like oh, that's a, sick. Random bands, yeah, like check this out. And then, uh, you know, he he really cares and, and he, he, he knows that like what it's like to get something in the mail and just be so stoked on it. When you open yeah. it up, it's not just one thing, it's a bunch of things. It was really cool the way That's he set it old up. Old school record label type of yes, shit, right there, man. Completely, yeah. He's a he's a vinyl connoisseur. He does a really good job at marketing and and the whole thing. And he's we got a good team. Uh, he hooked he hooked up with David Brenner from uh, Earsplit and Earsplit PR, and they've gotten us pretty much everywhere. And it's uh, everywhere you can be, you know, as far as that's concerned. But also having a a physical vinyl and CD as well, CDR. 
digi packs that are like biodegradable. They're right. totally cool and legit. So you have to worry about them polluting the ocean like all the masks are. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. I've seen pictures where I'm like pulling out my fucking hair. Like, really, dude? Can't throw it in the fucking trash? You got to throw it out in the street? Whatever. I'm not even going to go there. But they're yeah, just I mean, donating to people in case they just get their mask at <laughs> yeah. home. There's one right there. Just grab it. Right. It blocked all the coronavirus. I'm going to put it on my face. <laughs> Stupid. But uh, yeah, you know, the. Greg's been great. He's been awesome. Um, you know, it was crazy that he told he, uh, him and Dave told me this, that actually Decibel hit him up. No. Nah. As soon as we signed and asked Greg, when's the psychosomatic release going to happen? I was so like, you were already on their fucking radar. I had no idea. That was, that was totally shocking. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, dude, they caught, contacted me. Never, this never happened before from any bands that I've been in or had on my label. And he wanted to know when the psychosomatic was being released. And I was just, and it was the owner, not just some staff writer. It was actually the owner of the, really? the magazine. And he's the one that did our feature in there. He like straight up did it himself. And I, I couldn't have been more honored. I was like, wow, I was in shock. I was totally happy. But when you think about it, it's got Dave Sanchez's name on it from Havoc. He produced the record. He recorded and mixed it. Mark Lewis did the mastering. I mean, it, there's some pretty big names up in there, you know. Legit. And it's got a violence cover, you know, and violence's return and all that buzz is going on with it. So it's it's really packed in with a lot of stuff, you know. And it's, and it's the best way to kind of get out there, you know, to get it just to people. And we really fucking busted our ass on this album. I mean, we, we did everything we could and and uh, there was no egos in it at all. Like, no, we, we totally put our egos outside of the room and went in there and just killed it. So how frustrating was it? Because you really started tracking for this shit in like 2015, 2016, no. I think it was. When was it? 2018. So you tracked it. Okay, my bad. So in 2018, you tracked for this shit. And it's now you're on the last like quarter of 2020. How frustrating was it to just sit there? on all this sick shit and not be able to do anything with it for that, that extended amount of time. Well, for the guys, I'm sure it was kind of frustrating, but they kept writing. So we yeah. already have the next album, like kind of roughly written. Sick. But I, on the other hand, we've been busy the entire time with the marketing, the artwork, like it didn't stop. And then the, the video and all the promotion, the lyric video and all that stuff. And we still have more coming. So I'm still working my ass off to promote this record, which will be, I'll, I think we'll be done campaigning for it in like 2022. So yeah. we're really gonna gonna hit it hard. And then also, we just got done recording a video in here, and that's finally finished. And that's out now. No, it's not out yet. Oh. The lyric video's out. This thing yeah. comes out. I think I think maybe later this month in September. Yeah. Then after that, we have another video coming out as well. But that luckily isn't going to be as hard. It's, not, it's, a, it's a lot less inside of the video, so it's not so much on us to, to film and be a performance video it's got more of a concept behind it nice well go let's go over that video really quick how many like i mean i'm lucky to know you because i get to see it before everybody else i'm not gonna lie oh so what'd you think you. of it i thought it was sick man i like what you guys did with it i like the imagery i like the shots you did i after i mean with the bitters thing a couple weeks ago we did it ourselves i know how hard it is to do so why don't you go into how hard it was for you guys to do that like how many takes did you do all that kind of shit it was at the beginning of this uh, not the beginning but the yeah the beginning of the heat waves yeah. here in sacramento and so it was so freaking hot and it was hot and nobody was really acclimated to it yet so when like now i'm not even hot and it's like 98 100 degrees no it's like 103 outside yeah and i'm totally fine with yeah. it right but back then you know a couple months ago or about a month ago 
it was grueling. You know, it was so hot in this room. Yes. Everybody was pouring sweat. So after every take, everybody had to like kind of wipe their get oh, out towel because it was so brutal and it was you got to have some kind of consistency when you're doing the shots was it like a bunch of lighting in here that was just making it fucking worse like no, how'd you do it? no no because the lighting was uh very dark the video itself yeah. is very dark we wanted it to be dark i didn't want it to be all like bright you know and happy it was kind of a dark theme so the light we used a lot of color lights that weren't too hot and uh, they were legit lights too they weren't like you know just ones we bought at home depot that heat up it was really sweet and we did a lot of a uh, lot of takes, more takes than I ever wanted to do. How and many guesstimate? We guesstimated with all the cameras and all, and how many times we did it? About ninety times for like a literally two and a half minute video. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the best part about the video is like fucking. You see how many takes you do, and you only use like a second of each. <laughs> yeah, so you're like, really? That's it? It's like, but you find that second in each one of those takes that makes the cut and that's what's sick about it. But we don't do the, we don't do the edits so fast where it's annoying. Right. You know what I mean? Until like the very end. But for the most part, we don't want it to be like where you're looking at it and you're like, ouch, like this sucks. I can't focus on anything. They're, they're yeah. long enough to absorb what's going on. And then um, the next video we have would just be it's it's perfect the way we have it set up. And I, I can't really talk too much about it because I want people to see it. I want them to be surprised. Is but, it live action again, or are you doing no, something? All right. No, it's actually like cuts from a live concert and stock footage of other stuff cool. that the song talks about, which is really cool. So it'd be nice and easy. Me and Jesse are already scripting for that one. We're going to get it all dialed in soon. That's sick. So back to the album. What kind of topics are you going into? Because, I mean, obviously with everything going on, you could heavy hit, but even with 2018, shit was kind of fucking crazy. So what did you go with? Uh, we we just I was just writing what I was seeing, you know. I could see stuff building up. Uh, Riot Squadron was a um, song that I'd written about, actually the Baltimore riots oh, and and, yeah. the, and the France riots that are going on in France. Are those still going on? I don't know. The France ones ahead. still are. It's insane. They they like rest and work during the week and then protest on the weekends. Damn, it's crazy. This world is insane right now. It's, you know, it's no shortage of ideas to to write or sing or draw about you know there's so much and uh and and we got i got asked on a couple of podcasts about that song and how it's so relevant to right now and that was completely unintentional oh yeah you're two years early <laughs> right. fucking soothsayer like, like what's going on here it was crazy well i mean you know the the song is actually like a kind of a d beat i, I wanted like a d beat kind of riff to it yeah. so it's, it's got that vibe of being something epic right just a, a total like soccer ride it's a little faster but yeah it's it's that and Fuck, if you want to hear it, we'll throw it around right now. All right, cool. Check it out. What's the name of this one? This one's Riot Squadron. Sick.
That shape makes me want to kill something, dude. That was sick. Thanks. Yeah, who wrote that? I wrote that. Nice. I wrote most of it. Toby wrote the middle part. There we go. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, Toby wrote the middle part to it, and then the guitar players wrote their own leads. Nice. So, yeah, but I I got the main, the riffs, and uh, when I did it, I I had that in mind, that whole kind of UK punk discharge, like crossover metal, broken bones kind of vibe to it, and... It came out pretty good. I was I was excited. I mean, I, when we're writing the music, it's obviously kind of like a little. We don't really know how it's going to be received. So, but I think a lot of people are gravitating to that song because it's so relevant. You know, when they oh, read yeah. the lyrics and they hear it, and they're like, "Oh, dude, that's totally right now." And the the weird thing is, it's been the right now since you wrote it. And yeah, like you said, it's, this might not go away anytime soon. Like this song is so relevant to not to before, now, and even after. It's a little terrifying, yeah, yes. for sure. I mean, it's like, are we ever gonna go back to normal? Who fucking knows? But if not, I mean, here's a guide. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like you got the soundtrack to your shit, buddy. Totally. So let me ask you this about the writing. So like, you wrote the ma- major part of that, and then your guitarist did their thing and did their leads and all that, all that good shit. Is that how you guys normally like? Like someone just has like the meat and potatoes of the song, and then everyone just kind of layers their shit in, or is no. it more like? No, sometimes guys will have the whole song written, yeah. completely written. And sometimes guys will piece stuff together or run it by me. And, and sometimes I, I, they write, uh, the guitar players will write a lot of songs that don't have any room for lyrics. Right. So I'll have to like stretch them out so I can put some phrasing in there. But for the most part, yeah, everybody kind of writes their own stuff. I personally love writing with Toby because we've been doing it for so long. What did he join? 2003, I think it was? 2004? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. we started playing with him in 2000, like roughly around there, 2002 or whatever. And then he officially joined in, I think it was like 2003, 2004. And we've been going ever since, and we have a lot of fun writing. Um, He's kind of the opposite of me, so he tells me what sucks and what's rad and vice versa. So it really kind of formulated into our style. And the two other guitar players have literally picked up that style and ran with their own shit with it, which is really exciting. They just gel with you guys. Yeah, because a lot of the album was written by Dan Mills. Really? Yeah, this is like, he had one song on the last album on Clicking Sound, which was uh, Ritual Point. And on this one, he has like pretty much the whole record. He's got like, I'm not saying pretty much. up for it. But yeah, he's got like six or seven songs on the new album. Nice. Or I would say about six, I think he has. Vic has two, and I have me and Toby have the rest. Toby has one that he wrote all the way. All right. And he's actually, ironically, got the slowest one, which is like a heavy song called uh, Pandora's Crate. It's, it's uncharacteristic for Toby with how fast he can play. No, actually, yeah. he, he does write a lot of slower stuff. Really? He, he, wrote, um, he wrote all of Stormbringer on Another Disease, and that one's super slow. It's like super slow. And he wrote a little bit of... Uh, in lunacy, so those are, he's he's written slower stuff before. That one's kind of got like a, a total like just pissed off like metal punk vibe to it. It's just very groovy. Yeah. It's not like the other shit that's like, you know, you're shooting up some meth and fucking, watching some fucking Clockwork Orange or some shit. You know, he's getting <laughs> crazy with it. So, um, give me another song. Well, there's Vic's song, and this is pretty much I think the most popular song in the album, which is um, Fortune Dealer. Fortune dealer. What's this one about? This one's about the. I wrote. Well, he wrote it and he had it complete. Right, the whole thing was dialed, and I was impressed. I was like, dude, that song. Lyrics and everything, or is that more your forte? I do all the lyrics. For the whole band, but um, he he just had it set to go, and uh, we fucked with it, tweaked it, and boom, recorded it. And uh, the lyric topic is about the Stygian witches and Clash of the Titans. You know, the fucking three witches with the eyeball. 
you're losing me. Well, you don't watch movies, but no. if you've ever watched like Clash of the Titans, and it doesn't matter which one, there's three witches that he has to go through to find out how to kill the Gorgon Medusa. Okay. And the only way he could, they're going to answer him is if they give a fucking sacrifice. So it's really fucked up, the situation, right? Nice. So I, I wrote a song about that because, you know, we're writing metal songs now. We're not punk anymore. And we got to, like, write about mythology or some stupid shit, like <laughs> some dragons or whatever the fuck. So I thought that would be a good one to do, you know? And it's, it's all, like, fucking medieval and shit. You know, you got swords and shit and fucking <laughs> snakes. Badass, right? So, so I, I wrote that about that. And then... When we were recording the album, I was like, dude, the chorus of that is like the witch's point of view. And I was like, what better part than to have Dave Sanchez fucking sing that part? Because he sings like a screeching fucking banshee. Like, he's like, ah, like really high, dude. It's fucking gnarly. So I was like, this is perfect. Can you sing this? Oh, yeah, that's great. And he did it. It was came out phenomenal. And I was like, dude, I was so happy. And I actually like recorded him tracking it and I put it on my Facebook. So if you look on my Facebook or you look at the Instagram of, of Psychosomatic, you'll see him doing the vocal, the actual take of that vocal track nice. in there. And he just screams and it was so sick. I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then after we did the whole record, right? We did the whole record. We actually sat back, me and because me and Dave are of a, a fans of a band called Uncle Slam. And Uncle Slam was one of those earlier, like, suicidal-type bands, like mm. crossover thrash metal. And they were from that scene, from Venice. And actually, Uncle Slam, their drummer, was the first drummer of Suicidal Tendencies. He was on the first album. Oh, shit. But he has his own band called Uncle Slam. They're pretty obscure, but back then they were pretty well-known. Like, you knew who Uncle Slam was if you loved thrash metal, if you were, like, a deep thrash metal guy. But we love the vocals, and the guy, Todd Moyer, who sings... Dave can mimic him to a T. Like, wow. it sounds like a total vato, dude. Like, a straight-up fucking, Orale Holmes, like, yeah! <laughs> Hanging with the hood! Like, it's just, it's so funny. Like, and but it sounded so authentic. I was like, dude, sing the whole song like that. And he sang all of Fortune Dealer like that. Oh, shit. And it's fucking funny. And we're going to put that out eventually. Like, not yet. We yeah, got yeah, that in the back burner, but something will drop soon. That should be like a, that should be one of those 45s. It's, a, it's a B-side. Yeah, yeah dude, Total B-side. Be and it's fucking hilarious because when you see it and you know who Uncle Slam is, you're going to fucking die laughing because it's perfect. It That's is funny. so perfect. And I love, I mean, because we're fans of Uncle Slam. It's the same vein that, like, Anthrax was like, or SOD was doing all those jokes about other bands because they love them, right? Yeah. It's not because they're ripping on to hate the bands. No, it's because they fucking love the bands. They want to do their own version and make it funny. We didn't intend on making it funny, but it sounds funny when you know the story behind it. But when you hear it, you're like, oh, this is pretty fucking rad because he sings the entire song, not just that little chorus. It's fucking hilarious. We had a great time doing it. And uh, he dropped some Uncle Slam references in there. And if you guys want to hear the original version that we have out now, let's play that right now. You All down? Right. Here's Fortune Teller, people. No. It's Fortune Dealer, Barney. Jeff and I are currently arguing over whether or not I'm going to leave this in leave the Leave it fall. in there. I guess, I guess this is my payback for not only this episode, but last episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I fucked up the name. It's Fortune Dealer, people.
that was fast. Tons of blast beats and everything, dude. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vic plays in Flub, and he's played in a lot of death metal bands. He wrote that thing, and he's a he's a beast. He likes it fast and brutal, and it's got this like kind of marching kind of you know thing in the middle of it. It's like a, like a bunch of army guys marching kind of vibe to it, and it's it's it came out really cool. We were really excited with it, and then when Dave dropped it on there, like I said, I was just blown away, and uh, you know. It's it's well received. I mean, obviously for because Dave's on it as well, but it's definitely the fastest song on the album. It's nice, super quick. And then uh, that was his first contribution. He also did the Invisible Prison, which he will later, I believe, do a playthrough for, which is going to be really exciting. And then, uh, um, Dave, like I said, Dan wrote most of the album. So let's uh, throw another song from Dan. Let's do uh, one of the obscure ones. Let's do Labyrinth. And uh, Dan wrote this one. Back in like I want to say 2015, maybe 2016, it was uh, after we'd gotten done with Clicking Sound. He'd already immediately started writing with Jared, and Jared actually gets uh, Jared Klein from Rivers of Nile, who used to play with us at the time. He gets a couple of album credits on the record as well because he really he really wrote some of those drum riffs that Toby plays on him on some of these songs. I think there's like three songs total of it, so it was really cool. But yeah, this one's a labyrinth. This is Dan Mills's labyrinth.
So I particularly like that song, the the guitar riff that's going on in there and the main meat of that song. It, it has like this almost, I don't know if I'm using the right terms or anything, but it almost feels like there's like a pause syncopation rest thing going on in there that's like could easily trip up a band that can't quite get to where you guys are in a sense. Like talk about that. Like how was it like, like playing that riff and everything? Because I know you guys are vets at this shit, but... Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's we've gotten a lot more technical. I mean, we used to be a punk rock band. Yeah, you know? and for coming from a punk rock band, we would have problems with that. Well, I just think it's funny because a lot of the reviews describe us as a thrash metal band since 1988, which we were. Mm -hmm. From 1988 to about roughly 1992, we were thrash metal. And then we just kind of went into, like, speed punk yeah. because that what was in. Not only it was in, it was also... Um, just more viable people were into it and it was exciting and thrash metal let's face it back then was just done it was totally done and then um you know the resurgence helped out a lot but it's not just thrash now we're definitely like merging into like the technical aspect and then a lot of technical death metal bands kind of that's who we play with a lot so we obviously uh vic and dan both love death metal so we all do you know and we've all kind of incorporated it throughout the years gradually so, um, yeah, it's got that kind of stop, start, like punch you in the face. It's like you're getting beat yeah. up, you know, and that's that's not like the vibe that we thought about. But it gets the way it comes out because uh, and, I, and I love to say this. It's because Toby's drums are so brutal on everything he does yeah. when he does a lot of roles. It sounds like you're getting your ass kicked. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's just the way because he's a, the thing about Toby is on the last record, he played the drums. Right. But when we toured. He switched over to guitar, and Jared, his little brother from Rivers and Isle, Jared Klein, he came in and did drums. So Jared never got to record with us, but when we toured, everybody noticed a significant difference in their playing, and they're both extremely good, right? Yeah. But there is a difference. Uh, Jared is a lot more tighter, he's faster, and he's cleaner. But Toby's like a he's hitting sledgehammers. You know? That's that's the trade-off, right? Like you could be one like the very few drummers can do both, but you could be one hundred percent clean or one hundred percent brutal. Brutal. Yeah. And Toby goes the brutal route. Toby is brutal, and, and that's not to say he's not clean. It's just oh, he focuses on the brutal. He's super clean, but he when you're when you're pulling back your hammers on your kick drum and you're going as honest and hard as Toby does, it's impossible to go up to 250. Yeah. It's you break your fucking legs off. I mean, he's yeah. he's so like honest on everything he does. He doesn't really do the tippy tappy shit, you know, like cuz a lot yeah. of the tech drummers do. It's really light. They're yeah. really light cuz everything's triggered, right? So all you got to do is barely tap it and it's like brrr, and then when you got Toby playing, it's just an honest thud. When you watch him and you're in a room in a small venue, you can feel it in your chest. Yes. And he beats the fuck out of those drums. And everybody's just like, wow. I mean, when you watch this guy, I mean, there's the Metro show. If you look on our Instagram or if you look on our psychosomatic page on Facebook or on YouTube, just watch Toby play that that Metro show. It was like all eyes were on Toby. Yeah. He's a beast. He, he hits those things hard and he's fast and he's precise. And he is brutal. So it's, 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 it's all of it together. And it sucked because, I mean, like I said, we, we mentioned before, around 2016, we basically broke up and took a year off. Yeah. We, the band, but we were sick of each other. Everybody hated me. I hated everybody. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and we were just, I mean, that, it, that's what happens when you fucking tour that hard for that amount of time. You know, you start, like, going crazy. And, and it allowed me to really self-reflect and start taking inventory and doing all the things I needed to do to get healthy and better. And I, we've already discussed my sobriety and my therapy that I went through to get to there. And now, like I said, when we were doing the album, we had no egos in there. Like, all the egos were out. 
and we're just going to work and we're going to do our things and everybody treats each other with respect and everybody's professional it's fine i mean when you're joking around you know yeah it's one thing but when you're working it's fucking all business oh yeah know, for sure and you know I like to keep it light. I don't like it to get too serious. I like to have a little bit of fun. I like. I want the guys to have fun. You know, I don't give a fuck. Just because I'm sober, you can drink and do whatever you want. I don't give a shit. As long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else, I don't give a fuck. I'm not. I'm the least judgmental person when it comes to like partying, because <laughs> you know? I've done it all. Yeah, you walk that path. You know <laughs> exactly. what's up. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I like you so much better when you were drinking." I'm like, "Well, it's because you're probably still drinking." <laughs> You know, that's okay. It's totally fine. It's not my deal. But, yeah, you know, the, the the album process was really interesting. And Toby was living in Washington at the time, and we had to email him all the pre-pro tracks that Vic totally busted his ass over. He pre-proed that whole album, Whoa. and we recorded everything in this room. And he just, you know, he, he Vic was the one, the, the unsung soldier who put that thing together getting tracks from Toby, putting it together. Then Vic would have to like manipulate some of his own. So we would just get an idea of how the songs were going to turn out before we actually recorded them. So Victor really did a great job on the, the pre-production, and we'll probably do the same thing again for the next one. In do fact, you, he's already started. Do you like that process more where you're going in with a couple question marks into the recording session? Do you think that that's probably the best way to do it? No, we didn't have really too many questions. That's yeah. what pre-production is. Well, I know. You saw that pre-production, but you haven't actually like sat together and done hashed this yes. out yet. So there's still going to be that underlying question mark like, okay, we haven't actually played this together, so how's this going to turn out? Well, one of the things was it was the first time we'd ever worked with a producer that wasn't me because I did all the producing before. Right. On every album, I did all the producing. This one... Like I said, I had to put my ego away, even though a couple of times I was like, mm, and then like I just kind of had to bite my lip. And then when I thought about it, he Dave was pretty right. He was right. He was right a lot. It's it's cool being able to do that, like actually take a step back and be like, this is how I feel about it. But fucking all right, just right. Well, one of the cool things was that I'm wrong. And one of the cool things is that because I know Dave so yeah. good, I know him like a brother. Like we've known each other for years, and we talk every day. We talk all the time about everything about music so it's like we're we there's no like in you know there's no nervousness or unawkwardness or anything about anything we just talk to each other freely and open and he's like that with everybody so it was there wasn't this like producer rolling in from this you know record company to right. tell us what to do fuck you you know that's just not the way we're gonna work but dave coming in as a brother you know we're like oh shit you know we fucking we fucking carved stones with that guy, you know, like ever since they first started. And it's so, cool because he already knows who you guys are. So yeah. he already has a vibe of what you're going for. So it dude, makes it easier, right? The guy's like our biggest fan. It's yeah. so fucking weird. Because I'm like, dude, I love your band. He's like, well, you're, I'm like one of your biggest fans. I'm like, but you're way bigger than us. And he goes, not really. I just love your music. He's very humble. He's yeah. not, uh, we don't have any of that. You know, that's not, that's not like a bigger or bigger band i mean we just kind of put all that and you're dave and i'm jeff and we're great you know and, and he knows everybody in the band he's really good at friendships and relationships with who he works with and it's a uh, it was really an honor to work with him he was fucking spot on and we got some arguments i mean they weren't like serious arguments they weren't like yeah. like out of anger it was more like okay it's fucking 8 30 a.m i've been here all night and yeah. i want to go fucking home and go to sleep nope got to get this tracking done bro i'm like my voice is gone what do you want me to do uh, fucking drink some tea i don't give a shit eat some chips do it and i'm like <laughs> you know those those are the kind of fights we got into and, and and one time he was just we were arguing and i just i got so mad i was just like dude because I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't really mad, to say the truth. I was just 
going crazy because yeah, frustration because we were up. working so hard and you got to do he had to have at least like five clean cuts of every fucking take every fucking thing you sing play hit whatever you do he's got to have at least five to three to five clean takes yeah and you, and, and you would get you would do like some up to like 15 to get those three that were perfect yep and then he would use those later on, and, you know, so that way the whole album was honest. It wasn't like cut and emailed and perfectly pro-tooled. It was pretty honest, you know. So we basically wrote, like performed the album three times. <laughs> you know, like, but, I mean, look at look look at the like. I guess you could say the perfection of it. Like this is like the cleanest thing I've heard from you guys. Well, it's not. It's not. I wouldn't say it's the cleanest. I mean, it's clean. It's the best production. Yes, right. Hundred percent. But it's it's definitely got an organic vibe. I did not yeah. want something that was completely pro tooled out and sounded like a synthesizer, like a lot of bands do. I, I was not into that. Would you I, ever go back to tape? I don't care. You don't give a shit? No, I, I don't care what it is as long as it sounds the way this new album sounded. I want it to sound similar to that, if not better. But that, it doesn't need to be cleaner. It needs to be sound organic, right. honest, and real. Like, that's what we're all about. I don't want to sound like a fucking machine. You know, none of the guys do. Yeah. You know, I mean, we use triggers live because the kick drums just don't, they don't, you know, when you're playing fucking. 220 BPMs, they just don't cut through as much when you have honest kick drums as opposed to triggers. Right. They really hammer. You know, they sound killer. So that's that's one of the things we do. But honestly, I mean, Toby's toured the entire country with just microphones on his kick drum. So, you know, he's fucking, he's a monster, dude. He's killer. But I, I was the one that he was like, hey, you know, what do you think of triggers? He was like, nah, fuck that. And he's like, well, you know what? They are easier. I'm like, yeah, just use them. Big deal. I mean, we used guitar amps, right? Yeah. <laughs> And it's, not like, it's the same thing, right? Exactly. You're, using, you're using some kind of electrical device to make yourself heard. <laughs> it's not like we're just playing acoustic guitars. Yeah, and the thing it's like you could you could talk shit on triggers, but you still have to trigger it. That's the point. Is like right. it's him playing it. It's just amplifying that piece. Right, but I mean, with triggers, you can get away with a lot. But everybody knows Toby. He's like the most honest drummer. Right, and he, and he fucking he shreds. And I, I don't think he used triggers on the album. No, I think those are mics. Nice. I honestly, I can't tell you. I don't remember. He was Dave and him were in here for a week. They did the whole album by themselves. Like, I mean, I'd come in and check on them, but I, I couldn't stay up till fucking nine a.m. in the morning. You know I mean, because we were in this rehearsal studio. The only time we could actually record is when there was nobody else in the other room. So it was yeah. fuck for drums and vocals. Everything else was fine. Yeah, you, know? you guys heard this podcast before. You hear the residual sounds. It sucks. Yeah, other bands and uh, you just and, they're, and, they're, and the other bands are terrible. They're just playing some <laughs> shitty ass music, and you're like, fuck. We that's, won't name names. Right. It's just that's the torture that goes with it. But um, yeah, you know, this album is out. Uh, I talk to the label frequently, and he's got a lot of plans coming for us. So nice. Be on the lookout. We have a lot of shit coming. You know, we got. A whole other album, almost completely written. We just got to like kind of get in there and tweak it and get it all nice and pre-proed up before we actually think about recording it. And we're going to have uh, some other stuff that I can't say, but just be ready because uh, we're really excited to be on this label. They're really hooking us up. Well, I'm very happy for you guys, dude. Thank you. All right, man. Let's go into some Q&A and we'll wrap this up. The first one is from Vincent Pizarro. What are some of your favorite older horror movies, and what are some of your favorite current horror movies? Vincent Pizarro is the guy that, on my artwork, he does all the coloring. He does the digital coloring on it. Oh, nice. He's a savage. Fucking badass, Great job, dude. job, Vince. Yeah, he's killer. He's uh, one of my right-hand guys. And a uh, very close friend. 
we've worked together for years now. He's awesome. He's a quintessential piece of our team. It's really cool. Uh, horror movies. Older or newer? You know, um, older movies. Well, just the topic of horror movies, the first thing I'm going to say is that The Exorcist is being remade. And I'm like, eye roll, but curious like anybody else you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit like a cooler different take maybe maybe and this is all or it could just completely suck and look like a nine inch nails video remember when they redid the omen on and it came out Sucked. june 6 of 2006 and stuff terrible like that. it was fucking horrible i was so gassed i was so stoked because i love the original omen so do i and i saw it and it was just garbage it was i don't know if it was garbage it just was unneeded and that's the problem with remakes. It's like, it's really unneeded. If you're not going to do anything rad, why? There's very few remakes that I've actually liked. And I think uh, the one exception is The Evil Dead. And when they remade that, it's, it, it's like you're basically watching a death metal record. Sick. It's super gory, super evil, and super gnarly. And I was like... Watching the movie going, like, I'm literally watching a death metal album. Like, what they describe them goes down. The original Evil Deads were just so over the top. Like, Sam Raimi goes over the top. Well, they were great, but and they were goofy. good because of that. But they were goofy. Yeah. All of them were. And this one's, like, serious. So you're getting a serious take on it. It's not funny, which makes it... It's funny because it's so gnarly, but it's really good. It was, it was well done. The, the effects were mind-blowing. And I was like, this... For a remake, this kicks ass. Yeah. So hopefully, somebody will have the respect to do that with The Exorcist, which is by itself, in my book, the greatest horror film of all time, psychological thriller at the same time, and a quest for faith in all in one movie, which I think to this day is unbeatable. And everything that's been made that's affiliated with it is complete garbage, except... Season one. No, The Exorcist 3. That one was really good because that's that's what George C. Scott, and it's a it's basically Damien Karras' character. What happens after The Exorcist? Because number two was embarrassing. Everything after number three was embarrassing. The show was kind of eh, it's okay. I it like was, season one. It was passable. Yeah, it was passable. I could watch it. I could stomach it. Season two was embarrassing, yeah. and then I was like, yeah, this seems to be, this seems to go, but. Season one was basically a regurgitation of The Exorcist. That's why I'm wondering, like, how's this remake really going to go? And it, I've seen a little movie poster of her on the top of the stairways, like, kind of upside down, ready to do her spider crawl. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I, I hope. I fucking, I don't want to say pray, but you know, like, it's, 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 it's gnarly. You're going to have to. It's The Exorcist. Yeah, I hope it's going to turn out great. But other than that. All right, so other, other older. Old, well, that is, that is an older horror yeah. movie. And then... um. The evil, the evil Dead series is, it's not the best shit because the graph, the the effects are really awesome for their time, but by today's standards, it's a comedy. But it's it's a really good series. I like the concept of it, and Sam Raimi's very ferocious. He's very gory, and uh, that was really good. I mean, I like all the classics, you know. I I wasn't really. I like the first like Nightmare on Elm Streets one through three, and after that, it got stupid. And then I liked uh, Jason Friday the Thirteenth, just the first like two, and yeah, then it the got, first two were the best. And then it got stupid. But when they came back and faced off, when it was Freddy versus Jason, that was a good movie. That was badass. That was a great. movie. I was movie. way impressed. I was like, dude, this is sick as fuck, because it's it's like they just went all out. They just made it super like fucking 
chicks with big old boobs and fucking every like super gore. Yes, was crammed in this movie and it was so fucking fun. Yeah, dude. exactly. Like they knew it was what fun. They, yeah, they knew what they were. So they're like, let's just roll with this shit. Yeah, they were like, what is all? What is everything that a kid loves about a horror movie? And they just packed it in there. Yep. And there is rumors of a sequel, which I would love that too. Yeah. There were multiple endings to that one where it showed like, like neither one won. So the, the 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 possibility for a sequel is huge for that, and I hope they do do something with that with the same team, like a big old monster squad, and just have them just, with fucking Michael Myers and fucking. Yeah, I know. It's just like have them all square <laughs> off and just obliterate all these fucking teenagers. Slasher movies are cool. Those those are the the extent of slasher movies. And then like you know when Scream came out, I was kind of like rolling my eyes because I'm like, this is what you kids are into these days. Just wasn't digging it. it just, I like the first Scream movie. It just seemed boring to me because it wasn't like it was an homage to the old school. Yeah, but I it wasn't like it was. I don't know. It just wasn't. I'm so hell bent on fucking, you know, the '80s like effects of super gore. You know. Let me ask you this. I had this conversation. Do you are you a fan of the original Terminator? Well, that's sci-fi, but yes, it, it has a little bit of a horror element to it. So, a friend of mine recently just finally watched all the Terminator movies, and he does not like the first one. And the reason for it is because he just couldn't get behind the special effects. I'm like, can't you, like? Well, back then, that's all we had. At, yeah, look at like what we had. We'll, we'll look at more of the effort than the actual effect. But a lot of the horror film fans like the older stuff too. And let's let's take for example, speaking of sci-fi. Is the thing and the thing too, yeah. which wasn't really the thing too. It was like a, it was a prequel yeah. that came out, and I want to say like four or five years ago it was two thousand, yeah, two thousand fourteen or whatever it came yeah. out, two thousand thirteen. It had the chick from Twilight in it or whatever it was. I, yeah. I don't know, but uh, yeah. all I know is that all the effects were CG, and then except for some of them when it's laying on the ground, but mostly it was CG. And then when you look at the original thing and those prosthetic effects, you're like, dude. There's no question. The original rules. I know. It's, it's super it's gory. It's so gory and disgusting looking. But they did such a good job on those dogs and the fucking yeah. actual thing. Like, I was like, I was blown away. I was like, dude, there's nothing that beats the thing. I think that right there, as far as sci-fi horror, that's number one. Alien? Alien's great. Alien 2 fucking rules. And now I'm a I'm a 1 over 2. I like both, but I like 1 over 2. I just like Bill Paxton's character at number 2. Dude, he fucking <laughs> Game rules. over, man. Dude, he fucking rules. And anything after that, I'm rolling my eyes. It, was, know, it was a crap show afterwards. Yeah, I didn't care for 3. I thought that was boring as fuck and It was a rehash of 1. Number 4 was lame and I was like, "Okay, this is dumb. Why am I even watching this?" And I, I did watch them all. I gave them all a once over, but Prometheus was okay. I liked that one. It was Kind of the only thing I liked is when, when that fucking when she has that like abortion or whatever with that <laughs> it's thing. It's all like dudes doing the C section yeah, exactly. on her. And, and, the then, and, then that, and then that fucking uh, the big white guy. What is it? What are they called? The engineers. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah he yeah. like punches her right in the stomach. <laughs> I'm like, what? The? She just had a fucking C section, like, and you punch her right in the stomach. Like, how fucked up is that? Like, it's so bad. But for the most part, yeah, I thought it was. Ridley's really just pulling us in different directions, you know, and I was kind of like, yeah, but when you want to talk about the original Alien, 
nothing beats fucking the chest burster. Yeah, that whole dinner scene. Dude, yeah. that was so sick the first time I saw it. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like, and the best time. part about it was the director didn't tell the, uh, I can't remember the other actress's name, but he didn't Sigourney tell. Sigourney Weaver? No, not Sigourney Weaver, the lesser character. Oh, the, the blonde chick that was in. Uh, he didn't tell her what was going to fucking happen, so all of her reactions were 100% legit. She's like, what the fuck is going on right yeah, now? Yeah, she's like, she oh my no god. Idea. She's like, oh my god. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that directors really good directors do is they'll go above and beyond like think about the the making of the exorcist when billy friedkin had you know when she like walks in the room and linda blair like smacks her in the face and she goes and slams on the ground yeah like did you hear about that sequence no what's up she had like a fucking rope tied around her back and had one of the stunt coordinators like yank her down oh shit and so she like slaps on the ground on one of the takes and she goes billy he's pulling me too hard like i could really get hurt and, he, and Billy looks at the stunt guy and he goes, don't pull her so hard. And then he like, she looks away and he looked at the stunt coordinator and gave him like a nod. Oh God. And then he <laughs> fucking reefs her, dude. And she goes and smacks her ground and smacks the back of her head. And that's the scene they use. Yeah. I mean, and, and she got fucked up by that. She had to go to the doctor and she still hurts from that injury from her back and her neck. Oh God. Poor dude, Linda. <laughs> dude. No, that wasn't Linda. That was the mom. That was Ellen Burst. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, okay. Oh, fuck. Dude, it's so fucked up. And she talks about, like, what a fucking asshole he was. It was hilarious, dude. I couldn't stop laughing when I saw it. It was like, it's so bad. But at the same time, you're like, that's an artist. That's what an artist will do. A director will go above and beyond to get the most real thing. And then, like, when Jason Miller's, like, shaking at the end while he's giving last rites after... Not Jason Miller. Jason Miller's the one that fell down the stairs. Yeah. The other pastor was his hands are literally shaking because he's, like, reading him his last rites. So he's supposed to look like he's crying. But right before he did that, fucking Billy Freakin' fucking, like, slapped him in the face. And then he made him do the scene. So he was all shaking from getting slapped fucking in the face. pissed. Like, <laughs> like adrenaline is just going through the fucking air. Like, all right, I'm going to get done with this scene. I'm going to kill this motherfucker. Right. And then one more thing about The Exorcist that was great was, do you remember when he's listening to the, the Damien Karras, Jason Miller, is listening to the voices on the tape recorder, right? Yeah. And the phone rings, right? And he jumps up and looks at the phone because he gets scared when the phone rings. That was actually a shotgun. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy Freakin' like fired a shotgun, and that's why he made that jump face. <laughs> but, I mean, look at what we got out of all of that. Look right, Academy Award winning movie. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you have a string of actors and actresses that fucking hate your guts, but... <laughs> It's so one of the most popular horror awesome. movies of all time. Yeah. Oh, it's great. All right, so what are some newer ones? We, we, we went old for a long time. Newer what? Horror we, movies? We, I guess Freddy vs. Jason is your favorite new one. You know, I did, I did watch Green Inferno, which is about a bunch of cannibals. It's actually a remake of an older movie. But this one was like a little bit gnarlier, more graphic. It was really cool. It's about these, this plane that goes down in the middle of the Amazon jungle, and they, they, these survivors get caught up in this, like, this uh, tribe of like um, I don't know what they are just cannibals yeah they're cannibals and they like yeah. straight up eat them it's Wolf. fucking awesome so if you get a chance to watch Green Inferno it's definitely worth your time yeah. and I you know, I, you know I, I hate to say this but a lot of the newer movies I like are remakes but some of them are good like I did like the remake of The Hills Have Eyes Really, that was a good one because it was the, the effects were so much better. But wasn't it, it was the same director too though? It was, I don't know. I think it was the same director. Maybe well, it was Wes Craven. 
I think he did both. Maybe, but remember when like the the dad gets burned and his yeah. eyes go white? Yeah, Dude. when he's on the fucking cross like that. That was sick. I remember sitting there and like, so I was. This is when my wife and I first got back together after we broke up back in 2005. We were only dating at the time. And I was like, yo, this movie's coming out. So we go there and she's just sitting there just glaring at me through the whole entire fucking movie because of all those scenes. That whole entire scene with the dudes on the cross and the daughters getting in. It, it yeah, was it, just, was, it was gnarly. It was fucked up. Super gnarly. Um, other horror movies. I haven't really seen any of the new horror movies, like the new franchises. I, well, I mean, I'm busy. You know, I'm constantly yeah. busy producing there's, stuff. What is it? There's Paranormal Activity. There's Conjuring and stuff like that. Those are those are the two big like, franchises. Conjuring to me is just another rip off The Exorcist. But supposedly it's true stories, though. Whatever. Supposedly. That doesn't make it any better. Right. <laughs> but 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 Paranormal Activity was great. The first one I saw. I was stoked at the at the end when the chicks all looking at the camera. I was like, "This is pretty cool." For yeah. I mean, but then again, they all rip off the Blair Witch. Those kind of first person movies. I love movies. the Blair Witch, right? Movie. And you know, I and, and the, the first Blair, one, the Blair Witch was great, right? Because you, you, we, you and I could have made that movie, yeah, with yeah. our iPhones at this point. You know what I mean? Like we literally could have, and they did such a good job of creating this environment that's really mysterious and not showing anything, but by their own shrieks and terror. You get like your own ma- imagination goes wild. Yeah, it's like now. Did you see the last cut from that? I did see that the Blair Witch. The the most recent one. Yeah, I watched it once and it was okay. Did like, you see with the witch at the end and the and the? I episode? don't remember because I watched it one time and that was a wrap. Well, the witch. They show the witch. At they the actually end. show the witch. They show the witch. The cut of the 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 new most recent movie that they yes, made. The okay, Blair I want to go back and watch it. Tonight. Watch it because they actually show her at the end in the fucking hallway, and she's huge. Oh, great. Okay, now yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah that dude. was actually kind of gnarly. Yeah, it yeah, was good. They did a good job because they used all the elements of the old ones, but they made it super gnarly. Right? Yeah. They made everything bigger and crazier and gnarlier. Yeah. And I, that was kind of like that Evil Dead remake where it was just like. We're gonna make it more serious and more crazy and more gnarlier. And they had the drone and everything in it, and it was it was really well done. I was like, I was impressed because I thought it was gonna suck. I did watch Book of Shadows, which was the sequel to the Blair Witch, and it was embarrassing. It was the one with like Marilyn Manson in it and stuff. Like he was like did the soundtracker. Yeah, it, it had sucked. like the goth chick tour guide. Exactly. Yeah, that one was terrible. It was garbage. That was garbage. I was like, why did I why did I waste my time with this? But the, yeah, the, the the latest Blair Witch was sick. And I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure if I find some, I'll remember. But let's go. What's the next question? Cool. Next question by Jack Childs. What's one of the most fun DIY shows you've played? Where at and how many people? <sighs> played a lot of them. When I think of fun, I used to love the hazmat in Oakland. Uh, we played Burnt Ramen a couple of times. It was okay. So we had some really good turnouts. But the hazmat in Oakland had a vibe. Everybody was always there. It was always packed, no matter who was playing. They, were, they had, had its like built-in scene. It was fucking sick. And we played there with verbal abuse, and we played there with toe tag, and it was at capacity both times. And I don't know nice. how many people that was. I want to say maybe a couple hundred, but it was they're crammed in there, and it was fucking nuts. And we did play with toe tag, which was sick as fuck because that was fronted by Blaine from the Accused, who we did interview on here. And that was the first time I'd met Blaine formally. And he sang one of, we did a Q's cover and he sang it with us. And it was, the crowd was going nuts. It was really awesome. And that and those were real fucking punk rockers. Those aren't posers. Those are street punks. Like, yeah. as crusty as it gets, you know? And uh, we also did play a place in um, Concord called the, uh, the Evil Dead Shed. It was out in a backyard and we played there with Attitude Adjustment. It was really sick and Zombie Holocaust. Really cool show. And we played there, I think, twice, but both times were really fun. Always packed. 
really good friends and good fun good friends and get ready for more of that <laughs> yeah because that's all you're gonna get right anyways all right last question is by daniel cavazos what made you decide to be both a bass player and vocalist well originally i just wanted to sing and bass players were rare yep and everybody wanted to play guitar i could play guitar but there were so many guitar players like everybody wanted to be a guitar player so if you're a bass player or a drummer you were like in a band no matter what even if you were good or not it doesn't matter because they were so rare and I think every drummer I know is in at least like five or six, seven bands. Oh, yeah. The, the scene <laughs> shares like two people. Right. Yeah. Literally. And so um, I, I just said, you know what? I'll just play bass, you know, just for now. I never wanted to stay with it. And then it just kind of happened. And then I just kind of became a bass player. I'm, I, I consider myself a mediocre rhythm guitar player yeah. playing on a bass guitar. And that's what I am. And I can get crazy, but I don't want to because... That's not my job. And that's one of the things we learned on this album. This latest album we did was that I had to like really pull back from what I used to do because I was a punk bass player. Now, everybody knows anything about music. Punk rock, the bass player's in the front and the guitars are kind of in the back. That's the way it is. Like It's really kind of a heavy, low-end sound with punk rock. You always see the bass player roll-picking. He picks double-time, you know, double-timing. Yeah. Where metal is the exact opposite. The guitars are in the front, the bass is in the back. And the bass is holding it down, and they just do root notes, do, 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 instead of going the roll picking that I used to do. So I had to really understand that roll picking kind of got in the way of the guitars, and I was sitting back getting in the pocket with the drums. And it I, it was hard because, like I said, I had to put my ego outside. And once I got used to it and heard the band as it was, I was like, okay, it's, it's the right way to do it. So, but, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, when you're the vocalist and the bass player, I figure – you know, you can have, you can do both. If I could do both, then why not? Because it's one ex- extra person you don't have to deal with. Yeah. You know, and we're, f- I got to have two guitar players with the way our music is now. So might as well be a four piece if you can do it, you know, because the five piece is just like, well, then you got a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure you get compared to all the time with Slayer and stuff like that. I'm not trying to draw that comparison, but that was something that Tom Mariah had to do with his playing was, on the early albums, he was shredding, and then on the later albums and even live videos, you just see him hitting some new root notes, right. and just keeping that low end, mm-hmm. that low end groove going on. When I first saw Tom Mariah was on the Hello Waits tour, and yes, he is a direct influence on me. I'm not going to deny that at all. Yeah. I I'm not th- trying to say that, but I yeah. take that as a compliment. Good, honestly, to tell you, that's one of my favorite bands. Are you fucking kidding me? That's yeah. awesome. Um, Dave Edwards from Neurosis is a big influence of mine, and um, a lot of other bands. Uh, Mike Dean from Corrosion Conformity. Those guys like would play with their fingers or with their picks, depending yeah. on what songs. Like I saw in Salinas, California, back in 1986, I saw Tom Mariah play with Slayer, obviously, and they're on their Hello Waits tour, and he played that whole set with his fingers. Next time I see him with Rain and Blood, he's got his fucking pick, and he's just chilling. Right, he's just chilling. Not do, chilling, do, 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 but, you, but yeah, he's but I mean, holding it's, it. when you hold a pick as opposed to your fingers, you get the consistency and the clarity and the hits a lot more cleaner. When you're playing with your fingers. Unless you're fucking Robert Trujillo, it's going to sound sloppy. Yeah. You know, especially when you're playing as fast as we do. So when you're doing single timing and not double timing it with your fingers, you can get away with that low hum, like boo doo 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 through the whole rip. But when the way we do it, having that thrash metal feel, we like to have that twang. Yeah. So I use a BTB and I use a, a um, 
a Sanzamp rack mount, you can get that real twang, like like that Frank Bellow anthrax kind of twang, you know, that or uh, you know, to have that kind of metal sound, overkill, you know, that kind of shit or violence. They always had that that twangy kind of fucking bass sound that really is like low end, but like kind of irritating, which is supposed to be that way. And that's why. It's an irritating form of music. Yep. And I yell. My, my number one influence of vocals is Scott Kelly from Neurosis, Tom Araya from Slayer, obviously, and um, I'd like to say Jerry from Tankard. If you ever heard of the band Tankard from Germany, thrash metal band. They're one of the big four of Germany thrash metal. But those guys are the shit. And that's pretty much it. And that concludes this episode because I'm tired and I want to go home. But, you know, I... I really wanted to like kind of focus on our new record and our release on this yeah. you know, album. And, and, you know, we're not always going to have a, a guest, even though I'd like to have a guest most of the time. But, I mean, I, I noticed that you got hit up by a couple of people that want to just have us kind of yeah, a couple shoot of people, the shit. Like, I mean, I have a couple of people that will give me feedback other than, that's great, dude. You know, and that kind of the kind of feedback I get from these people is good. And they were just like, we don't know anything about you. We don't know anything about... Jeff, you know, it's like we're listening to this podcast, but we haven't learned anything about it. And I know a lot of the heads that listen to this do know you in person, so they know your history. But there's like sure. there's yeah. other heads that don't know anything about this. They just ran across us out of nowhere, right? And now they got a little bit of music to listen to, and yeah. you guys know where to look for us: Psychosomatic or The Bitters, Sacramento. And uh, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you can look at. Yeah. And uh, thank you guys all for listening. This is the Jeff Salgado Show. Wish you well. Have a happy Labor Day. Peace.